Hey, welcome back. This is Lock Screen Combos, Chapter 8. My name is Tinji, aka Tinji Frames. And I'm Uzo. Uh, what's going on? Uh, how's your week been? Had a really great week. Uh, lots to, um, lots of good things happened for me, and um, I was looking forward to this topic. Um, it, it, it seemed inspired by the. It seems to fall in the lines of what inspired uh, lock screen convos, and so I was really excited to dig into it. Um, but before we get in, how was your week, and um, how's things with you? Oh, same here. My week's been amazing, uh, nice, chill. Family is great. And definitely, I was looking forward to, you know, I had this topic in, in my notes and it's, um, the topic is the producer mindset, create more, consume less. And you're right. It, the whole idea about this, these conversations was to talk more about how we can build more things, create more things, create more value, as opposed to just being people that um, don't create more things. And so, um, yeah, I did quite a bit of research into this and uh, yeah, just really looking at the differences between being a producer and a consumer. Um, when you're looking at this topic, what what did you like? I mean, yes, we both said it's exciting, but I think we are, we're focusing more on the economic side of consumption and production because these are two common words that are used in different industries or different um, uh, areas of life but we're focusing more on economics this scenario. And so what did you discover when you were um, looking to this topic? Well, I, uh, I realized that we're all consumers um, and we need consumers. You can't, if, if everybody produced something and nobody consumed anything, then um, it would be a very, very sad state of affairs um, from an economic perspective. So as much as we approach this, like I feel there's an implicit, it's better to be a producer than a consumer. We do need consumers. And um, the best producers respect and appreciate their consumers and listen to them and work for their benefit and don't just treat them like interchangeable widgets, so to speak. Um, so I, I, I realized I was approaching the topic with a, a bit of um, a uh, negative, maybe not negative is the word, but like a bit of disdain, not disdain either, but like it just felt more honorable to be a producer than a consumer, but ultimately both sides need to exist and work hand in hand to, um, to make the economic wheel turn. And um, what, one, one place where that is obvious, my research started leading me to things where I could see that um, the produce, uh, sorry, give me a second. Where, uh, just trying to glance through my notes to see where I have this. Uh, right, that our economy has moved towards like specialization on the producer end. And so people focus on specialized, like getting good at creating something or a limited set of things. And you sell that for a supposed hopeful profit. And you take that profit to patronize other services. And um, you, you, you can't get that. Like it, the more we move towards specialization, the less people know about general other areas. And so everyone has to be a consumer first, I guess, or everyone is inherently a consumer because we can't produce all the things we need. And from that position of consumer, you take, you, you can then in addition be a producer, but um, we're all consumers and, um, I, I feel like I, maybe because I came at that from the uh, negative perspective for the consumer, I needed to fix in my mind that both sides of the equation were very important to exist. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds you of when people say, I think um, they might say, oh, you like buying Gucci bags, I like buy Gucci stock. And it's, it's, it's tongue in cheek because think about it, Gucci needs its customers to be what it is, to be that brand. And so if everybody, if everybody supposedly was a, was a producer and no one was a consumer, people are gonna die because nothing's gonna survive. We'll, we'll all be waiting, we'll all be producing things and keeping to ourselves. But 
in this uh if nobody bought if nobody bought Gucci bags, there will be no Gucci stock. So <laughs> essentially, essentially. And so but I think especially now in this global space that we're in, I mean, um, if there if we've learned anything in the past year is that the we are not too far from each other than we think. You know, something that would happen in one country can affect the whole world. And so this pandemic has forced a lot of us to really dig deep, dig deeper into ourselves and look at those skills that we have that we haven't even tried to utilize. And, you know, like you said, we started this recording as a way to say, hey, we have the tools, why not just put it out there? And so now we're doing it. Um, I, from my point of view, so I remember I started getting into business stuff like early 2000s and this was like around around the time when there was a big hype about entrepreneurship. And so the books like Wish That I Poured That saying, you know, you should be a business person, a business owner and an investor. And he was kind of like almost shaming people who are um, employees or salaried people, basically saying, if you want to be wealthy, you have to be in this bracket or in this quadrant. And if you want to be on the rat race, being that quadrant. And so I think what has happened is that over time, there's this implicit bias that makes us look at people who go for a nine to five job as, you know, not maximizing or, you know, being the rat race. But at the same time, if everybody was a business owner and not a customer, the business would die. It's just plain logic. Um, Having said that, I think there's an issue where all you do is just consume and don't produce. So right. I think the, the reverse is true. If all you do is consume and you don't create anything, you don't produce anything, you will not survive. And I'm not saying that to be uh, dark or anything. It's just facts. Um, and um, we're looking at consumption and production from an economic point of view, right? And so even going to work is a form of production. Uh, labor is a factor of production. And so it's just that in this case, you're trading something. So now we're getting to trades. That's a whole nother topic. You're trading time for, for money. Um, but before we get into that whole complex space, I think what we're thinking about more is not so much as what you do for your job, which is okay, obviously. We're thinking about how we can use resources that are available to us and to be able to create more. But why do you think right now, do you think people in the first place, do you think people are actually um, creating more? Do you think that there's a, there's a good balance of producers to consumers? Or do you think that there's way more consumption going on than there is production? It's uh, a good question. I think... I think there's, hmm. I think there's far more consumption happening than production overall. And the, I feel that because the needs of a consumer and the perspective of a consumer, like the appetite, I should say, of a consumer doesn't, is um feels infinite or feels like producers are constrained by resources expertise and time in general right but consumers have less constraints so to speak um i feel that it takes let's say it takes 30 minutes to make a plate of food but it may not take you 30 minutes to eat that food it, it, like it takes more effort to make food than it does to eat it. It yes. takes more efforts to build a website than it does to like visit the page and look at the images and click on the thing. Like even if you were a pretty thorough person in navigating a website, you will more than likely spend more time. You'll, you'll more than likely spend less time on that site than the people who created it. And that's just the natural order of things. So 
you must spend an in like a an, an insane amount of time going into and preparing what it, their product. They think of the packaging, they think of the user experience, they think of like if something goes wrong, like you need a phone number to call. You know, um, when this thing is on the shelf, how does it catch your eye? Um, how does it? How what other products are on the shelf? You know, what does this look like in comparison to the competition how does this look like price wise and all these other factors so they they've spent a lot of time thinking and you you're just pushing your cart down the aisle and something catches your eye and you make like a two minutes five minute decision and that's about the extent you know you look at it versus all the other labels you look at the price um and you're like oh okay i guess i'll try this and that's it what took you five minutes at the most to make a decision about was months and months, if not more of the producers agonizing over every detail around that. And so I feel it is dramatically easier to be a consumer. And as of such, we consume more than we realize. And in fact, like these days, it's like uh, today you want to have a meal, right? You pick whatever meal, whether you make it yourself or you order it, more often than not, you're going to put on a show on Netflix or something to watch. Now, mm-hmm. your, your, your consumption is layered. You're not just eating so that your body gets sustenance to have energy to continue your next action. You are consuming, but like at a level where it's like, hmm, it's not just enough for me to eat a meal or even eat a delicious meal. I want to be entertained while I'm eating this. And this goes so all... You're getting the double, double portion. <laughs> yes. You know, like uh, there's that consumption. You're also consuming, like like you're, you're eating in, in a sheltered place, you know, like, the, like just think of like the early human being and their eating was pure survival. They might be eating in places where they could be in danger, you know, and like, entertainment what is that like what are you even talking about but now we've gotten to a point where it's not just enough to like it it blows my mind when i hear stories of children who are like "Mm, i don't want that i'm like (laughs) my chest like growing up in nigeria like whatever they put in front of you you better eat it and enjoy it so like when when i hear kids have like preferences and stuff this this is like a new level of consumption yes they're consumers as well but they're like consumers with uh they're consuming for for different re- maybe not different reasons but they they're i don't want to say taste um the, the, the nature of their consumption is different and they, they need more. And so today you're, you're watching stuff, you're listening to movies, you're in a good environment. It probably smells nice and it's clean and stuff like that. And this is the level of consumption. You're consuming multiple things at once and they're all wrapped together in one package. When you go to a restaurant and you're eating this, you know, like, eating in this environment, being served, having all these catered to you. You're not just get you're not just consuming nutrients. You're consuming an experience. You're consuming a production, a, a, a bunch of things at once. And if there's music, so you have like auditory stuff you're consuming. I feel like our consumptions have been layered deep now that as we're taking things in, we don't even quite like there's some things that it's like breathing oxygen. You're consuming something and we're consuming that on a, at a rate where we don't even think about it. It's just like, it's because we don't have to pay for oxygen. If we had right. to, you know what I mean? You would be more aware of that consumption, but ultimately um, we consume a, a, a ton and um, we don't produce nearly as much as we consume. That would be my opinion. Uh, I, I'm inclined to agree. And this topic is amazing how, I mean, you, you can start, like you think it's, it's, it's so layered because you, you start in one layer and already, you know, in this short couple of minutes, I've already thought of certain things that I didn't have in my notes. And um, what what I thought about was, um, you know, that just uh, on social media, you see things like eat the rich, eat the rich. 
And on the surface, it sounds, people say, well, there are too many billionaires. It should not be ethical to be a billionaire. You must have been exploited to be a billionaire. But I feel like on the underlying premise, if we go layers deeper, what they're really saying is you should be punished for producing. Now, bearing in mind, production in itself has its controversies. There are environmental concerns, ethics, how to your workers, agreed, not disputing that. But what do you define as rich? Because let's say you eat off all the billionaires. You're going to now face millionaires and say, well, they shouldn't be millionaires anymore. You eat them off, they focus on those who earn six figures. And so th there really is no cap to this thing. What I'm trying to say here is, like you mentioned, it's much easier to consume than it is to produce. And what we see happening a lot, a lot of times is that um, I think as humans, we like to go for easier tasks. I mean, who wants to crack their head overnight thinking about how they can, you know, it's, it's, it's much more enjoyable to watch Netflix than to think about creating this new invention to you or know. even creating your own movie like you would much exactly. rather watch <laughs> yeah yeah the, i agree with you because making your own movies it's not just making the movie you have to to edit it you have to promote it to get the actors go on tours i mean it's a lot more work but at the end of the day if we look at people who are the true who are quote-unquote running the world most of them are producers or the inherited wealth from a producer that's just facts. I mean, I'm not talking about royalty right now, but even down to royalty, a lot of these royal families, if you look down the history, someone somewhere in the bloodline did something and inherited a whole bunch of wealth and titles and passed it down. And so I think the main thing that I wanted to um, hopefully get today is how we can become better producers, more effective producers, and maybe most importantly, have that producer mindset. That isn't to say watching Netflix is bad or having ice cream is bad or, you know, going to watch a sports game is bad. No. It's, or eating um, macarons is bad. <laughs> <laughs> good plug, good plug, good plug. I see. <laughs> producer mindset, man. But <laughs> I just clocked that though. Okay. <laughs> but look, but it's true. Like, um, I think for me, uh, so I mean, growing up in Nigeria, obviously, I mean, when you take lights, you know, you, you know, you only have two options. You know, you're going to play outside or you're going to read your books with a candle on. And so I think I am, uh, I've learned to be content. I know I'm not as, I would think I'm not greedy. Um, being in Canada, I've been here for, almost 11 years and uh sometimes i'm just like i i look at what people are doing back home and even with the um little to no resources they're able to build amazing things i mean mm -hmm. we, we talk about developers back home and they're building startups and they're getting funded and this is an example of a producer mindset taking something out of nothing and building something great and i feel like sometimes for many of us out here, it's like we get to content because, you know, we have good roads, high-speed internet, constant electricity. And so your brain is like, it's on standby. It's like, nothing's facing you. You don't, you're not too worried about your neighbors coming to attack you. You're not worried about uh, security issues. And I feel in a way that can keep you dormant because, um, you're not being sparked creatively, creatively to do something. And so I found myself in a position where I've said, look, I have to make sure that I don't relent and I don't get too comfortable. I want to make sure that I have that mindset of doing something, create something, you know, even if I don't, even if it doesn't make money per se, like, you know, build something. Um, I was looking at your, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Elon Musk story. Uh, actually it was today. And uh, it was a video where he, uh, he was waiting for his McLaren to come out, um, to come to his house with his fiance. This was back in 1999. And he said something in the video. He said, back in 95, 
no one believed you could make money on the internet. No one did. And the two companies I think that came out in the mid nineties were Amazon and his first internet company, I can't remember the name now, but today both Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are one and two richest men in the world. Think about it. Like this is just 20 something years ago and they saw a future where value could be created in this new space where most people call it a fad. You know, people said the internet was a fad, that kind of thing. But they already had that producer mindset. Do you think that it is hard to be a producer also because you have to be able to believe in something even when it feels like the whole world doesn't believe or the whole world doesn't see what you believe in? And um, how much of a risk is that at the initial stage? And do you think that could be a reason why most people would rather just wait it out as opposed to pioneering something? That's a lot of questions. Um, so is, um, let me see if I can, let me see if I can uh, take that. Do I think, sorry, can you repeat some of these questions? There were, there, there were three of them and I'm okay. just trying to digest. Yeah, no, sorry. Go on. <laughs> um, are there, three, are there three or two questions? I thought two questions. Okay. Um, okay, so well, the first question I had was, essentially, do you think it's harder to be, is it, do you think having a producer mindset is hard? Because sometimes it means seeing things that no one else sees. Let's start with that yeah. first. Um, yes. I, I think that is one of the big challenges of being a producer is that you there's a there's an intangible like the vision doesn't like you're trying to see something that doesn't exist and then you have right. to um I, I think i've hinted at this when we're talking about elon musk in a previous conversation where i'm like this man was selling electric cars before the supercharger network existed like mm-hmm. he he had to like the cars would have been limited in their range and stuff. And he ended up having to build like a highway of charger systems. But before that, he was actually even selling them. Like the audacity of him to be like, yep, I'm going to sell you a car that you can only fuel up at home versus any other car where you can drive anywhere in the country and get a, go to a gas station. But then not only did he have that vision, he started building out the infrastructure to extend that dream for people or that vision for people. And so there were things about the future where it's like, I want to make an electric car. It's like, how do you even charge it outside? Well, you can put a charger in your house. How do you charge it outside of your house? You know, like, or do you have to return home every 30 minutes or every 45, every whatever? He had to see a future where there's charging stations all over that now there's apps you open up and you can find the nearest charging station. He had to like envision that future and sell people on that vision and dream. And like, he's consistently trying to do that with like people going to live on Mars. And like, I'm in my head, I'm like, this man is so far away from that vision. Like, I don't even know if this is possible in our lifetime. And then I, I, I would be surprised 2025. It's like, yep, there's a, there's a hotel on Mars, you know, like, <laughs> I'll be like, wow, <laughs> he actually did it. You know, um, that's the level of foresight into the or, or farsightedness. You need to be an entrepreneur. You have to envision things that don't exist and then see all the, like see problems and still be able to convince others to, either come and work with you or come and consume this thing despite what isn't clear yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, and now we're, we're getting to things like being charismatic, you know, um, I, I read that, you know, Steve Jobs was, um, when he was, um, when he poached the, I think the head of finance or sales at, uh, was it Pepsi? And I think what he said to him was, uh, would you rather sell sugar sugar drinks or come work with me? I kind of think, I can't remember what he said exactly. But um, essentially, I mean, it does seem that to be able to um, to produce stuff, you, you, some, most likely you do need people uh, to help you in this journey, even though, yes, there are solo founders. But um, 
having a team doesn't hurt. And so, but just even the act of seeing things and building something that the world doesn't see. And you're, you're also dealing with naysayers, you know, people are gonna call you crazy. I mean, I was reading on the story you talked about um, James Dyson that built the vacuum uh, cleaner. I mean, he did 5,000 uh, prototypes started from 1978. And, you know, he imagine he must have had to deal with people saying, you know, while you're doing this, just just get a job, be like everybody else. Why are you wasting your time in this? But it's paid off. The man's worth about $4.6 billion. And so he obviously saw something and his he he had enough conviction to go that route. But I was going to switch gears a little bit. And um, sometimes producing, being a producer uh, is required out of necessity. And so we've talked about like, Let's go back to the early stage of man. You know, you had to, you know, before we had all the specializations, you had to, you know, be your own farmer. You had to cook your own meals, hunt your own food. Otherwise, you're going to die, essentially. Um, today, you don't have to cook your own food. There, are, There's Uber Eats. You can put an order for a meal and it come through to you in a couple of minutes. Um, even the app that you used to, get the meal. You didn't build the app. Someone built the application and you download it into your phone and you paid them money. And so you are two people, almost about at least two people have produced value for you, the restaurant and the, the app creator and also the device maker too, because you bought the phone to get it done for you. That's fine. Um, I was reading a story about um, Rockefeller. Actually, no, it was an interview. And um, so Rockefeller Records, that's Jay-Z's label with uh, Dame Dash and Biggs. And uh, they said one of the reasons why they started a label was because um, they couldn't get Jay-Z a deal, a record deal. No one wanted to sign him. And so they said, okay, we're gonna push our own records. So they started Rockefeller Records. Then started building some success. Then the next thing they wanted to go into fashion and I think at the time they're promoting a brand, they were promoting a brand called uh, Iceberg. They had like the clothes and music videos and that kind of thing. Went to Iceberg to discuss like a partnership. Iceberg turned them down. I said, okay, fine. And then started Rockaware. Um, the same thing with their alcohol brand, Bubbly uh, Armadillo Vodka. I think that's more of a Jay-Z thing. And it's a similar situation. I think it was more of a racial issue with uh, Crystal. But then they started to create their own brand of alcohol or, or, or bubbly. And um, yeah, that's who became successful. And so personally, I like the stories where, you know, you go out of your way to create something out of necessity because it's like somebody has decided to gatekeep and not um, give the opportunity to partner or, you know, just... You know, just that the whole gatekeeping narrative. Do you think today, do you think besides just the mindset, do you feel like um, there are gatekeepers that could um, stop us from being producers? Like maybe, and what could be a gatekeeper? Could it be a loan? Um, could it be the resources that you need to start something? Do you feel like, that's enough to stop us from doing what we need to do as far as being producers. I think there's a lot of things that can stop us from being producers, but I, I like the, um, the thing you brought up about Rockefeller. Um, I guess what the, the one takeaway from these stories is that they didn't need their own record label. I mean, they didn't need a record label to sign them to find success. They didn't need Iceberg to partner with them to find success. They didn't need Cristal to partner with them to si to find success. And this reminds me of a Matt Damon story. Um, Matt Damon and uh, there's another actor that's really close to him. I, I'm forgetting the, his name now. Um, but they, want, they, they couldn't get any acting. You mean uh, Ben Affleck? Yes, yes, Ben Affleck. Um, they, they couldn't get any acting gigs, so they ended up 
producing their own movie so that they could act in it. And it's like, you didn't need someone to, to be a producer for you to cast you in a movie. You like, you know, like be the, be the producer of producing a movie is a completely complicated, is a very complicated job. And in fact, in many regards, I would consider harder than being an actor because you're dealing with finance and you're dealing with um, a bunch of other complicated stuff, but they produce their own movie so that they can get acting roles. And, you know, that's how they broke into Hollywood. And I can think of a couple of other um, situations. James Dyson himself, um, he took his designs for a vacuum cleaner to other vacuum cleaner manufacturers and they didn't buy it. So he ended up creating his own vacuum cleaner company. And um, you mentioned one about sports cars. I think it was uh, either Ferrari or um, yeah, uh, Lamborghini. Lamborghini created his own, um, his, his own car brand after yeah, being teased by because- Ferrari. Exactly. He came with some modifications to a car and they laughed him out of the room and he ended up going to build his own sports car company. And um, it's crazy that like, so I don't know that. So I guess you can call them gatekeepers, but I don't know if they're like effect, like if those are effective like, I don't know if that's the right word to call them because these people just only emphasize the, the, um, let's call them hindrances or obstacles rather because like it clearly they didn't stop these people. They didn't like, it's not like once the gate is like, once this person closes this door, this thing is completely impossible. If nobody signs you, you can never produce a record. That's not what is happening here. So maybe we're looking for a different word, but um, yes, it is possible. Like there's, there's a numerous amount of things that could discourage one from being a producer that being said, it is possible, like it, it, it does seem possible to be a producer regardless of seemingly insurmountable um, obstacles. I think being able to create these brands, these companies, these products, in spite of everything that you know you have to go through, it's like the ultimate middle finger. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just that thing of, you just knowing that you can't stop me regardless of what you try to do. I'm going to do it regardless. I mean, I love these kinds of stories. Um, I was going to get into a little um, something else, which is um, obviously still not producing. And I feel that bringing it down to culture. So in the tech space, um, we've, we've seen more... Uh, people who are of, uh, let me say white people who have created these companies and have, have, have had all these exits. And when I think of the tech industry, it, it, it sometimes I'm married with the music industry. So once upon a time uh, before like black people were able to have success, I mean, it was it still is dominated by uh, white people, but then we saw like hip hop artists coming out. We saw Motown. Motown was like the first uh, label that came out and, you know, had these amazing acts. I think Diana Ross, The Temptations, that kind of thing. Personally, I feel like in our sector, we haven't really seen a lot more of ourselves. And it's still growing, obviously. And I love to see when I read stories of, you know, entrepreneurs in Nigeria doing what they're doing. It does give me hope and I feel like, yes, it's part of everything. This is doable. But I feel like this, we still have a long way to go culturally. And I'm not one person to put the blame on anybody. I like to reflect inwards first before, like, I want to make sure I have exhausted all my resources before I can say, you know what, I need help. And so in our space, what do you think we need to do now? Like, what, I was in a clubhouse meeting one day and this guy i think he's based in new jersey and he felt that uh black people still have a long way to go in tech and he wasn't sure if, if we can catch up that kind of thing and i thought that was a bit defeatist because i feel like we can actually leapfrog like the tools are available like you can literally go on the internet and download any programming language at least the most famous ones today and start building stuff uh, but in your opinion what do you think needs to be done to see 
Um, I don't know if you think about these things because I do sometimes. Like, what do you think needs to be done in our space to see more of us producing? Because I want to see our apps out there. I want to see us on the infrastructure. Like, instead of giving all the, giving our money to AWS, you had a link in there talking about somebody saying that it might be easy to create his own AWS uh, cloud infrastructure. Or was it the opposite? Anyway, what do you think we need to, what do you think needs to be done to see us uh, creating more value in this space? I think hmm, creating value is a challenging proposition. And like you said, there's a, what we talked about earlier, there's a lot of um, uh, obstacles or seeming gatekeepers that are keeping us out. But um, the examples you've we've talked about, to, and like like with Elon Musk and a bunch of other people, it turns out that those gates were not enough to keep people out. And um, sometimes people take face challenges where they and and it, it, it might feel easier to say um it's like these people are in a better position to do so because they're not worried about where their next meal is coming from or this or that but i also don't want to completely believe that because um there's many situations where the person is not sure about their next step i mean i i think in our early conversations, I talked about uh, Elon Musk launching rockets and like basically going bankrupt or like being one step away from bankruptcy and yeah. still persisting. You know, like sure he's worth these many billions or has these many assets, but like honestly, the man has put t- time and time again his assets and stuff on the line to support the vision he believes in. He'll just keep doubling down and doubling down like as if. Um, as if failure is not enough or as if like gates don't exist, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and he started to cut you and he seemed like he has a habit for going after really hard projects that no one else wants to, wants to get into. Like it doesn't like his, his, his decision process does not make sense to me. Um, I, I don't know how he, anyone can look up, look to that level, that many repeated failures and just keep plowing on like as if life doesn't exist like i'll be like okay let me fail till 20 million and then let that 20 million just be generating some interest you know if i fail and i'm down to the 20 million oh well you know like let me just have a comfortable life and quietly lick my but this man will go down to his last cobble and be like (laughs) yep let's do it and like put everything to the line and I think that is a producer mindset where you, you, these people are just seemingly insane and will just push through whatever boundaries I want to continue doing. Um, and um, there's something that's not in my notes, but I looked up just before um, early, sometime today. Um, I believe the guy's name is, the artist's name is Takashi Murakami. And um, I got to know of him through my girlfriend and um, I was doing a little reading about his background. And this guy was the, is a Japanese artist and he wanted to create um, art and live off the art he created. Um, And he took some very unusual turns in his journey. And he said at one point that he moved to New York and rented an apartment and like he had no idea where his next meal was going to come from, but like he was at least pursuing what he wanted. And I'm like that level of producer, this thing, like he mentioned one way, like he, he saw, um, what was it? a movie, uh, uh, Star Wars, mm, maybe it wasn't. He saw a movie and he was so impressed by the special effects in the movie, he bought a behind-the-scenes video of it and at the at, and he imported it all the way from the U.S. to Japan and he watched it obsessively and then tried to do his own, like, hackish recreation of this. And according to the man, he said that he didn't have 
um, good artistic skills or any of that. Like he 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 was never in class, and like he, he in his class there was always people who were better than him, and you know people would see their work and be like, wow. But nobody was ever wowed by what he could create, what he created. And it was just like hard work and diligence that paid off for him. And so, you know, it just, it, it was a touching story about how somebody who's like a very famous pop artist now um, just struggled and put everything on the, on the line and kept pursuing like an art style that he didn't expect like it wasn't popular at the time. He wasn't expecting great financial success, but it was the type of art he wanted to work on and did. And in fact, right behind me, there's a Murakami poster and um, there's, a, uh, there's a caption. It's called, the, uh, it says the octopus eats its own leg. And it basically boils down to how um, it, it comes from a Japanese parable and uh, it's a translation of a Japanese parable and the moral of the story is like the, uh, like the, the, the need for like self-sacrifice for the greater good to move forward. And like, you're, you're willing to, um, the octopus is eating its own leg, knowing that it will grow back and it will continue moving forward. And I think that for people to experience success or lasting success or rather you, you can experience success without having to like go through tough things, but it's that willingness to cut off your own leg to move forward. That is what, that is what it takes to be a world-class producer, the kind of producer that's pushing things that nobody believes in. Nobody wants to support you. Nobody wants to give you money for it. Nobody wants to back your vision, but you're still going and you're still going. And, you know, you take whatever little steam you can find to keep moving forward. That is the, that's the mindset of the people who built, um, who are the top level producers. And so for more people when you say people like us, I'm assuming you mean our, our color or background, but for more people in general to be like that, you have to be willing to fight hard for what you believe in. And honestly, I don't even know if I'm that type of person. So it's very inspiring to see and very motivational to hear. And, you know, I think ultimately that is the thing that we need to be like, be able to push more for what we believe in even in the face of danger and failure. And it's so much easier to talk to people about it rather than do it. So maybe that's why there's more consumers than producers. When, when the going gets tough, it's just easier to fall back and stop producing, but we don't stop consuming. Yeah, I mean, wow. I, it, it does take a, quite a bit of thick skin to be able to withstand the disappointments and the dwindling bank accounts that too i mean i I mean yesterday yesterday i was talking with um i was asking my wife and i said you know if if i said you know what i I just like the dyson story you know at one point his wife had to work two jobs and be creative and i'm like not everyone can afford to you know do what he did but I mean, the the benefits obviously have paid off. After 15 years of trying, he got his prototype, and his he's worth billions. Um, that being said, though, I feel like sometimes we there's a narrative that gets stuck in our heads, and the, the narrative I'm going to use right now is the Facebook narrative. And so, I think with many people getting into tech late say 2006, because that's when I, like, I started considering the tech industry. I feel like most people were looking for the Zuckerberg story. So you build something, it gets popular, you get some funding, you grow it again, get more funding, grow it again, and then you go public, become billionaire, that kind of thing. And what I find is that where there is a common narrative there's a lot of competition. And so everybody wants that. Well, I won't say everybody, but most people tend to think that way of, you know, building something. 
Now, what I feel is that sometimes you have to be, be more, a bit more creative. If you have something and you feel that the conventional routes aren't producing for you, for lack of a better term. So for instance, let's say we build something today and we're trying to get through like a major manufacturer or a major publisher to get us out there, but they turn us down. Um, that shouldn't stop us. I think we have way too many tools today. May Because think about it. One of the major reasons why we go through these majors is to have access to potential customers, ideally. And so I think that sometimes when the doors have been shut for you, uh, you have to think uh, a bit more creative about how you go about reaching your customers or reaching your target audience. And it may not be the most conventional way, and hopefully it's legal, but sometimes I think people, when they, when they can't see another route to where they're trying to get to, they give up. And they say, oh, well, I tried, you know, but it didn't work. And then they hang up the mic. And I think what I'm trying to learn now is to look at all these alternative routes where there's less competition, it's not as obvious, and but we still achieve our goal of um, creating an audience. And the amazing thing is that nine times out of 10, when you're able to get enough people to talk about what you are building or what you're creating, people pay attention. It's like all of a sudden it's like, wow, where have you been? So like, let's use Rockefeller for example. When they couldn't get a deal, they went out by themselves independently pressing records, doing um, street, street shows and they had a street team and they were being innovative about you know, getting their audience. So they went direct to consumer before it became a business term. Like they went literally direct to their audience. And then what happened was eventually labels started paying attention. But the funny thing now is instead of them, now they had leverage. Now they could demand a higher percentage than what they would have gotten if they went by themselves. So now they could say, well, we already building our momentum. If you want to join us, here's the amount of stake that we want in this deal. And I feel like many times we're not thinking on these levels because we want the conventional way. Or what do you think? Yeah, I, I feel that, I mean, if you, if everybody always had two legs and never lost them, we wouldn't think of making a wheelchair. And so um, not being able to get something or not having something in an expected format forces us to reevaluate some things. And that allows us to find a way to move forward. I, it's, it's, um, I think um, part of it, like an example is COVID. Um, a, a practical example is COVID. I had a business that was in an industry that was seemingly indisruptible. And to me, I was already counting my, uh, like just, I just continue working on this app and continue building it and slowly but quietly accumulate money and move forward and uh, end of story. And it took COVID to help me or <laughs> force my perspective to change about the world and right. stuff. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be exploring trying new businesses. I wouldn't be, ex or at least exploring the current businesses I'm exploring or trying the current things I'm trying. Um, it took it took some a door being slammed in my face in a very weird way to help me pursue other things. And I feel that, you know, like if, if you, if you could get a major label to sign you, or if you were signed, why would you try and do the hard work of creating your own? You just trust their expertise and, you know, go to them if they give you reasonable terms. And it's, it's, it's that level of, um, if if you, you don't if you're not forced to be scrappy you you're not by default conservative like it's not like um you don't people don't typically try and do 
more with less, if, if that makes sense. If, if, if it's easy to just get in your car and drive off, why wouldn't you? Why would you think of jogging to, you know, to the place? It, it, or maybe some people think of it, it just doesn't work that way for me. And so it takes being moved out of your comfort zone. It takes um, the easy route being shut out to you to sort of force you to reevaluate and think about new ways to try things. And um, it, it kind of explains why when a company is at the top, they tend to just sit there and not really change or evolve until something drastic happens. And, you know, like Blockbuster is just sitting there doing their thing. We're the biggest movie rental company in United States. You know, like, what do you want? And then so it, it takes somebody bringing, renting movies in a different dimension that knocks them off their seat. You know, and even when the idea was initially pitched to them, they're just like, eh, <laughs> like, that's cute. But we know like DVDs and movies and this is, and VCRs, and this is what is going to be for a foreseeable future until it wasn't. And um, so I think um, the people there didn't feel the need to change until some drastic things happen. And I feel like human beings are the same way. If everything has been stable and continues being stable, we tend not, we just tend to continue enjoying it at that level until um, we're forced to change. So, um, yeah. And, and, yeah. And I feel like complacency, I mean, you, you, says, you mentioned um, Blockbuster. I mean, they were on top of the food chain in terms of um, video rentals and, and they had the market on lock until a startup called Netflix had this idea about... Um, you know, I mean, they first of all revolutionized um, the DVD rental space um, by making you, you know, mail in your DVDs instead of like coming back physically to the store. And then next thing they went into media streaming. Um, I feel like sometimes you're right. It, it does take like a slap in the face before we recognize um, that something needs to change. And what I'm trying, and that's why I think, you know, one reason why I'm so big on skills is that it at least gives me that extra, what's the term? It, it like It's like that bulletproof I need to ensure that even if something doesn't work in this section, I can always pivot, I can always change. You know what I mean? And I feel like sometimes we get really comfortable. It's like, once something is going nice and sitting nicely, we just want to be that way forever. But the chances are- it's Of course. Probably, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably not gonna be that way. Something's gonna come through some new startups, some new kids going to find a new way of doing something faster and cheaper than you. And all of a sudden you're worried. Um, I was reading this, I have this book called uh, The 50 Inventions That Shaped the Modern Economy by, um, um, wow, what's his name? Tim Hofford. He's a British guy. And uh, he talks about machines a lot. And he said, uh, you know, like in this era, we talk about robots and, you know, we hear automation, robots, AI, most people look at it negatively as, oh, this thing's gonna take my job. But that has always been a discussion from for centuries. So as far back as, um, I can't remember the name of this machine, but they, they have always, whenever a new innovation has been, uh, was created, the first fear was the lack of jobs, that this thing was going to replace them. But what tends to happen ironically, is that it creates new jobs because somebody has to man these machines. And so I feel like sometimes we let our fears um, or whatever initial reactions we have stop us from reassessing ourselves and looking at how we can utilize these tools or these new innovations and make ourselves more prosperous. And I think for me, and that's why I, I tell people that me, I, I try to embrace these things. It, 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 if I see something scary, I'm like, okay, this is going to be definitely something I have to watch out for. But then I ask myself, how can I position myself to ensure that I'm not displaced? Because that's the last thing anybody wants. Um, and I've experienced that before, where I felt like my skills were not up to standard with where I needed to go. And so I had the choice to either... I stay mediocre or I rework on my skills, um, look at the market, see where it's going and 
I guess, make an educated guess about these things. Um, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to talk about uh, some of the drawbacks to being a producer. So we do know that obviously there's you know, great benefits of uh, producing things and creating things. And, um, but sometimes we, we, we know that um, uh, it's, yes, we've discussed about, we've talked about the hurdles that one might have to face to get there. But then when you do get there, so let's say you've actually, you've achieved what you want to achieve, you know, you have a business, your position or whatever you're doing uh, economically to sustain yourself. And then um, uh, maybe say after a couple of years, you have people turning back against you. So let's look at the DHA story, which is uh, quite trendy in the tech space. Um, he was one person that was revolutionary, still is in the web development space, creating Ruby and Rails. And then um, recently uh, the company where he's at Basecamp, a couple of employees, I think a third of them left the company due to new policies um, that were um, created in the company, basically saying you cannot discuss politics in the office. Do you think that um, these are the things that come with the territory? So when you become that figure that is revolutionary with new ideas, new ways of doing things, is there that is there also that risk of becoming the villain someday after becoming a hero? And if that's the case, how do you think we should navigate that space? Um, <laughs> you, I mean, you could always become a villain. <laughs> Like, that is not your choice. Like, I mean, you could do all the good you want and people can choose to um, see you as a bad person. Um, That's true. So you, you, can't, you, you can try to influence people's public perception of you, but ultimately you don't have the final say in their determination. And sometimes that what they, what they label you could be very, very painful compared to how you really feel or the truth of the matter. Um, so I guess um, that comes whether you're a producer or not. So it's, I don't, I, mm, you're more than likely going to be linked as a villain if you're a successful producer. Um, I think for some reason, people hate people who make money. Um, yes. or, or lots of people hate people who make money. And um, it's a very popular sentiment. And um it seems like no matter how much of it you give away or no matter how much you do this, it's just, they just, people just don't like you. And um, it's, it's something you have to live with or, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it seems that people like people would project whatever insecurities that they have about themselves onto you. And so even if they were supporting you in the beginning, let's say you were starting out and nobody just trying to make a name for yourself. And then you do succeed making a name for yourself. It's very possible the same people who loved you all of a sudden look at you differently. It's like, oh, wow, you think you're better than us now. Um, and then maybe potentially they just wait for that. If, if let's say you've, been, you've, you've had a streak of wins, you know, you're just winning and winning and winning. And then all of a sudden they're waiting for that one day for you to crash. And then they pounce on you like hyenas. And, um, um, but I think, I, I just believe that the same resilience that got you there, should you should still have it to continue because it's not enough to just get there. You want to still have that staying power to be able to know that once you're successful, you become a target. You know, everybody, you know, most people will look at you differently. And so um, how you reinvent yourself is important at, at that point in time. And um I would just hope that I, I, me personally, I always support people who do something for themselves. You know, it's not easy to do so. So just the mere fact that you had that boldness to go out and try something and you must have failed a couple of times, just having that, you know, that uh, conviction in yourself to do so is, you know, should be respected. And um, if, if, if you're the kind of person that is just hoping that somebody would fail I mean, I think that's more of a personal issue. I mean, probably you probably just reflect more of yourself and think about 
you know, your own life and what, what, what you feel needs to change. Yeah, I, I, I don't think worrying about, like, what people are going to think is super healthy or productive for a producer. Um, I, I think there was, a, there was a quote. I was trying to find this because when you started this um, line of the conversation, it just really struck me. But um, um, it, it's, from, it's from, oh, yes, yes, yes. Wait, actually. It's from Michael Scott, a character in a show called The Office. And um, he was saying something, like, I can't remember what was happening, but he said, I guess this must be how um, he, he named someone. I can't remember who it was, but, like, let's say Rothman. He's like, I guess this was how Rothman must have felt. He just started off creating cigarettes so that people can have a good time, and now you're, like, the world's worst villain you know, and, <laughs> and it struck me and it's like, yo, <laughs> dude is on point. You know what I mean? It's like, this is like everything is bad these days. You, 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 you use sugar and make stuff. You're a bad person. You sell cigarettes. You're a bad person. You make alcohol, but like the person who started making alcohol probably just like made something that people enjoyed. And it's like, he just continued making it and scaled up his operations. And it's like, now you're a bad person who's like destroying humanity and doesn't care about X, Y, and Z. And it's like, bro, I just, you know, like I used to make beer. I love making it. And I think like, I, I hope people would enjoy it responsibly. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, you, in the same way, like, you make an app and then you're like, you study usability patterns and you want to make it easy to use and stuff like that. And you want notifications. So it's, 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 it, uh, people don't, like, people are aware of changes in the app. They don't have to dig through it. And then next thing you're getting accused of making addictive patterns. And it's like, whoa, like, I was just trying to know, let you know when people's birthdays are coming up or like, enjoy a social interaction through digital means now i'm like oh, i i'm i'm and i'm digitally addicting you're the, people you're the bad guy yeah yeah like it, it feels like the more successful you get the easier it is to just sort of like squint and see the person as a bad guy and a monster and um ultimately like that is something that if you're going to be a producer you have to be comfortable with the idea that people might see you as a bad guy sooner or later. Um, one more topic, um, presumers. So that's a term that I've seen a couple of times and it's, I think Apple popularized it or, or just, I guess, the whole PC revolution. I have never heard that term before. Like when I saw your notes, that was the first time I saw prosumer. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, that's, that's, that just goes to show how um, out of it I am, but carry on. Okay. So um, the, the idea of um, the being a prosumer essentially means you're both a, pro a producer and a consumer, which I think to some extent, most I guess a good number of people are, but to make it more specific, um, so uh, let's use an let's use an example. Let's say you are a musician or a graphic designer, and so to create you know to create designs, you need a machine, right? You need a computer, and so you go out and you buy a computer, and that's consumption. Now you use that computer to create stuff so you create designs you create music or whatever or you, or you or you build applications that sort of thing now you've nicely blended these two roles um i think that's kind of cool and sometimes it can be like a nice way to start because uh, i understand that not everybody can go out today and create a um manufacturing plant to start building chairs for instance but i think if you can, if you've if you've bought things or you've gotten things that you can use to create stuff, I think that's an excellent way to start. And um, which is why, for me, like when I think about the digital landscape, I feel like there's really no excuse. If you have access to the internet and you have a computer, I honestly I feel like these two basic things are enough for you to create stuff. 
And if you're sitting down instead and complaining about why everyone is getting rich, you're not getting rich, maybe it's time to look again at yourself. And so, yeah, I just thought I should bring that up. Uh, being a consumer, being uh, just using what you already have. And again, it's, this is something that you see a lot more in the digital space. And so I, I think that's, that's something, that's a, a good way, like a good in-between point you can, you can, to have where you can still consume things, but then from things you've consumed, create value and then become a producer. Interesting. I, I think um, being a, I like, I, I feel like, I think we started this conversation with emphasizing that you like the world needs both producers and consumers. And I think the term prosumer is sort of emphasizing or highlighting the point that it shows that they're both sides of the same coin and we should be looking for opportunities to produce as much as we're looking for things to consume. Um, I think is my takeaway from that. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, I think my takeaway from this discussion is to, you know, to keep that mindset going on. And um, even when, even when the money making aspect hasn't crystallized, I think sometimes that's something that we pay attention to a bit too much. We ask ourselves, how is this thing going to generate money? I feel still create something that shouldn't stop you from doing what you need to do. And so, yeah, I definitely want to go and continue that mindset of uh, being creative and being um, looking at things that I can produce and hopefully it gets enough people talking and it makes someone's life easier. It makes someone's life better. And yeah, just going to keep doing that. How about you? Definitely. I, um, I need to, I, I feel like there's um, a bunch of instances where the producers didn't quite know the economic value of what they were going to make or the outcome, but they pursued the production anyways. And I need to take that. Um, I need to keep that mindset when I'm working on things or doing different things that it doesn't quite, well, not that it, it do, it's completely irrelevant, but that I shouldn't be so immediately focused on figuring out where money is going to come in from something and just enjoy the 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 exciting ride of being a producer and you'll be surprised where it takes you and what you will turn out absolutely well i think we've come to the hour this has been another great discussion and uh looking forward to the next one have an easy week as well. you too mr frames have a great one <laughs> uh,